Hello, and welcome to the BS with Friends podcast, a subsidiary of the Bader and Simon Gallery, scheduled to open in Cincinnati, Ohio in early 2025. I'm your host, Tamara White, founder and board president of Bader and Simon. In this podcast, we will discuss art, social justice, and well, basic BS with friends. Our approach is a bit lighter and irreverent, and as a warning for those with young ones nearby, there is a chance that colorful language might be used from time to time. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the episode. Ainsley Cameron is curator of South Asian art, Islamic art, and antiquities at the Cincinnati Art Museum and chair of the museum's digital committee. She has published, delivered lectures, and organized numerous exhibitions highlighting the historical and contemporary arts of India, South Asia more broadly, and the Islamic world. In 2019, Ainsley organized Women Breaking Boundaries, a two-part cross-collection exhibition examining the museum's engagement with self-identified female artists. Having completed her doctorate at the University of Oxford, She holds a master's from the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London and a bachelor's in archaeology and history from the University of Toronto. Ainsley has previously held curatorial positions at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the Victoria and Albert Museum, the British Museum, the British Library, and the Bata Shoe Museum. Welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell me your story and how you got into art and what led you to where you're at now. I got into art through archaeology, I would say, but it's always been a part of me and who I am, I think, thinking about cultures and thinking about art and artistic practices. I grew up going to museums. I grew up with a history of travel. My parents taught us about a global world, that there was a lot out there, as opposed to just the, the city that, that I was raised in. I feel like each decision that I made really set me on and solidified my path. So, you know, I studied archaeology at university, always wanted to be an archaeologist and enjoyed it, thought it was really interesting, but felt like At the end of the day, it was the material culture, it was the artistic practices, it was the objects that were really catching my attention. So from there, I moved more into art history. I finished my my BA at the University of Toronto and was in an anthropology of gender class when the professor took us to the Badashi Museum for a lecture by the curator. And I remember seeing the curator stand in front of the room and talking and explaining who she was and what she did. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to to live my life. And so you grew up in Canada. So how did you find yourself studying and sort of being this expert in South Asian art? And then specifically, why Indian art of the 19th century? Sure. So yes, I grew up in in Canada, for the most part in Calgary, Alberta, but I was taught to think more broadly about where I am and where I come from. You know, my parents are from opposite ends of the coast in Canada, and they they raised us traveling. When I was 15, we moved to Colombo, Sri Lanka. My mom got a job over there. She was teaching a bachelor's program for nurses, setting up the first bachelor's program in the country, and, and I went to high school. So, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, I was suddenly immersed and surrounded by this culture. 
the first time I went to India, I was 16. The first time I went to Pakistan, I was 16. It really changed my worldview. And so when I got to University of Toronto, it definitely made me think about where I was, where I was coming from, and, and what that encapsulated. So from then on, I started studying South Asian cultures and South Asian artistic practices. So, you know, I did archaeology at U of T when I moved to London to do my master's. I had found Indian painting by that point. I really was so interested and enamored with Rajasthani court painting. And that's what I what I decided to pursue for my master's. So again, it was this idea of, you know, we just had, you know, we happened to move there. My mom got this job there that really changed my my life trajectory in a lot of ways. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I think at that age, it's such an impressionable time. I, I grew up in this small rinky-dink California town, and I remember going to Mexico City for the first time on the outskirts, and I felt like I was looking at the pages of National Geographic, you know? And so to have have that experience at that age must have just been amazing. Absolutely. And so as a curator of South Asian art, Islamic art, the antiquities, um, at the Cincinnati Art Museum where you're at now, what are your goals for the next two to five years? Like where, where do you see yourself or where do you see this role expanding to? Sure. So I've been at the Cincinnati Art Museum now for about five, six years, and it's been a really great experience so far. So in the time that I've been here, I've managed to put on quite a few exhibitions, like Women Breaking Boundaries that you mentioned, but also um, Beyond Bollywood, a show that I did about South Asian dance, and a few others. And I've also managed to work to reinstall our galleries. So we've recently reinstalled the Ancient Middle East galleries, the South Asian galleries, and the galleries of the art from the Islamic world. And that was a really, really interesting opportunity and gave me the chance to think about how I wanted to present the collections that I steward. And so to me, it was really important to think about the way that we are presenting histories and the way that we are presenting cultures. You know, South Asia is not a monolithic place in culture. There are multiple languages, multiple religions, multiple cultures that I wanted to present. I wanted to make sure that I found ways to do that within the gallery space. And so for me, part of that was rethinking the way that museums present cultural collections. A lot of museums, I find, often stop in the 19th century. So they'll show, you know, historic collections up until a certain point. And when you do that, you're creating this artificial boundary and an artificial end date for cultural production. You're telling your visitors that in the 19th century, after the arrival of the British, for example, in South Asia, there was no more artistic production to put forth. And that is just not true, right? So part of my remit is or was to continue those narratives and to continue those narratives into the present. So by incorporating contemporary commissions by artists, by thinking critically about the colonial period and some of the objects that I had on display, I was able to really push against those boundaries of museum display. And that's my curatorial practice more broadly, I think, is pushing against what we have and what we've been taught and what we've learned and agitate from the inside of the institution so that we we think differently about cultures and um, and what we present. So crashing forward, I'm sort of bringing those into the projects that I have coming up. I have a project about queenship, ancient queenship, the ways that we rethink and see 
and reinterpret and readapt the uses and functions and representations of queens across the ancient world. So it's going to be a really fun presentation, I think, of a mainly ancient show that incorporates and grapples with the way that queens are seen today. I have a show coming up about contemporary art from Islam and in particular related to American art. So thinking about ways that we perceive and understand different cultural identities here in this country. And then I'm also doing a show and thinking about ways to present some of our historic collections in new lights. So a thematic show that talks about painting from a small region in Northwest India, this Pahari region of painting. So very different, right? Like, you know, you, you said my title, I'm the curator of South Asian art, Islamic art and antiquities. And that is not only a mouthful, it is a minefield. There are so many different skill sets and expertise and ways to understand and think about history included in that. I try to be adaptive and responsive and conscientious of all the different areas that are under my remit, but I also try to to push those boundaries and to find new ways to think about the collections that we have on display. That sounds fascinating. And also, I was just thinking, how fun to dig in and do the research in these areas. You had mentioned the show that'll be around Islamic art that's a little more contemporary. Are there any particular trends that you've noticed like under like contemporary art under the South Asian umbrella? Sure. So, so you know, I'm, I'm trained in the historic arts. I'm trained in 18th and 19th century painting. But as a curator, I am responsible for, you know, Neolithic to now. And that is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. Um, but I think right now it's a really, really interesting time to think about contemporary art from these different regions in the world. This idea of sort of the global contemporary, how that comes together. And there's a real explosion of artists coming out of South Asia and, and the countries that we sort of refer to broadly as the Islamic world. So there's this incredible push in drawing and in printmaking and in painting and very refined, beautiful forms. But I also see a lot of artists who are working within multiple mediums, which I find is really, really exciting that they're sort of going from painting to sculpture and back again and thinking about ways that ideas and narratives can be communicated across different mediums. And you've established a relationship with a lot of artists through your work. Do you foresee having any sort of a coalition of these artists to address major issues of the 21st century that are kind of more art-focused or art-driven or otherwise? I think that's a really interesting question to think about ways to activate these artists and some of the movements that are going on right now. Um, I don't have anything up my sleeve, you know, like the revolution starts here, definitely. But I don't have any plans to, to date. But I am really honored to have developed so many close relationships with quite a few different artists, diasporic artists living in the States, like Shazia Sekunder and Anila Kayum Aga and Breen Butt, all of whom are represented in our collection. But then also thinking more broadly about artists who are based in India and in Pakistan, um, particularly Hamra Abbas, who I commissioned a, a really beautiful commission from for the contemporary of Asian section of the gallery. I think that the way that I relate and communicate with these contemporary artists, it's probably a, a lot different 
than contemporary curators do. And not that there's not that one is better than the other. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But I just think it's so interesting that I bring this different perspective. I bring an understanding of historic narratives and artistic forms, and I connect with artists often in this place. And so I'm not saying that these contemporary artists are working in unbroken traditions of this long art history. What I'm saying is that oftentimes, and the artists that I gravitate towards are artists who think about the ways that histories and cultures are reflected in their own practice. And so they're exploring contemporary sociopolitical issues. They're exploring issues of identity and culture, but they're doing it in a way that creates this dynamic and dialogue between past and present quite often. And that's where I sort of come in. That's where that's where I get really excited. So the works that I brought into the collection often sort of uphold that to a certain extent. The works that I've commissioned from from Hamra Abbas and from Shazia Sekunder uphold that idea of creating this this connection. My understanding about the Cincinnati Art Museum is that it was started with the idea that it was mostly work by local artists. Is that correct? Like initially? Yeah, no, actually some of our earliest acquisitions and the foundation of the collection, there was quite a bit based on Cincinnati because this was this was and is such a robust artistic community. So some of the early Cincinnati art carved furniture, some of the early ceramics, like the Rookwood ceramics, absolutely, that was focused on Cincinnati. But we were collecting with an encyclopedic mindset from its inception. That's amazing, you know, because when I talk about Cincinnati to people on sort of the coasts, you know, in California and New York, they're always amazed and surprised to hear that Cincinnati is, in fact, has so much culture and art that people are unaware of. Given that, I'm guessing that the work that you do is really well received in the community, correct? You know, I, I just think, you know, we make these stereotypes about the Midwest in different places, and, and you have such a global perspective in the work that you do. Absolutely. I think when I moved here, you know, from my friends and my family and my colleagues, there was a little bit of like, you're going where now? But I think it, like, it, it absolutely makes sense. Like This is actually such an interesting, dynamic, artistic community to be a part of and a community that is really supportive of its art museum in kind of beautiful ways. Like So many of our visitors feel an intimate connection, and maybe that's because they came when they were a kid or their parents came or you know their mom was a docent here at one point or their dad was. And there's this really lovely, lovely, intimate connection that we have with a lot of Cincinnatians. And then in my work, you know, I am very, very proud and honored to steward global collect from South Asia, from what is now considered, you know, the art of the Islamic world more broadly. And to do that, you know, it's not, I'm not a lone soldier. I'm not this one person that can do that. I do it by building bridges and by building connections and by being an ambassador to our main visitors within the galleries but also finding ways to communicate with my diasporic South Asian communities and my Muslim populations so that I can make sure that I'm bringing their voices and reflecting their voices and creating spaces and experiences where they see they feel seen within the institution as a whole. And that's been a really wonderful part of my project 
or excuse me, part of my role more broadly, this ability to not only think about the art, but to think about the people that this art represents and the people that this art is so important to. It's being really wonderful. And to do that in Cincinnati, that's a city that's, you know, a mid-sized city. So you can do that. You know, I can go out and knock on doors and build relationships and I can invite people over to the museum and I can build those relationships with intentionality, which is what I'm, I'm really excited about. And I think that the size of Cincinnati makes it more accessible in a lot of ways. I've noticed that when there's programming, I don't know, people are not thinking about traffic and weather and things that are, you know, that are more of a hindrance to kind of participate. And so it just seems like you get a lot of people that really are invigorated and engaged when when this programming happens, which is great to see. I think not only that, but also really curious, right? Like people are willing to be like, okay, you know, there's a program about American art. There's a program about European art. There's a program about Indian art. And they'll go to all three. So we don't have like the silos of interest that you have maybe in larger cities where there's so much competition amongst the different cultural organizations. Whereas here in Cincinnati, we have fabulous art institutions, several, but there's not as much competition and noise for the visitors so that they can come to the Cincinnati Art Museum, but they can also go to the Contemporary Art Center and they can also go to the Tap Museum and they can incorporate all of the institutions within their the, the way that they seek knowledge and understanding and education about art. Yeah, I agree. And also for the school groups, you know, also that accessibility of making of, of it being so easy for that to be a part of it. Um, Absolutely. So you mentioned these shows that are coming up. Are those sort of happening in the next year or, or coming up anytime soon? So museum time is different than regular time. Um, for me, these shows feel like they're happening tomorrow. But, you know, my next show is actually a survey exhibition, retrospective exhibition of the artist Shazia Sekunder, the Pakistani-American artist Shazia Sekunder, who I've worked with um, quite a bit over quite a few years. And that's going to be in Cincinnati in 2025. So that does feel like a lifetime away. I know, but it's not. It's tomorrow. Yeah, that's a before you know it, here it is. Oh, yeah. So I'll move on to what we put our guests through these questions at the end of every interview. And the first is your dream dinner guest, dead or alive, as few or as many as you'd like. I love it. During the pandemic, you know, life slowed down in a lot of ways, right? We we're working from home. We had different, different rhythms to our days. And it was hard and it was painful. But the joy that I found is that I've rediscovered reading and reading for pleasure, not just for work. So since 2020, I have been devouring novels in a way that I just like have, haven't done in years. So I think my dream dinner guests would be some of my favorite artists or, or authors from when I was young and some of my favorite authors now. So I'm thinking Rohinton Mystery, who wrote A Fine Balance, one of my absolute favorite books ever. Amitav Ghosh, who I adore. Margaret Atwood, shout out to my Canadian roots and my sort of insane psychological fantasies that she creates for us. Um, and then an, an author that I've been reading a lot right now named Tahari Jones. So I think I would bring those four authors with me. Thinking conversation could be really good and could be really interesting. And if it's not, just like brew a cup of tea and read. Yeah, it could be a reading dinner party. <laughs> Why not? 
What song is the soundtrack of your life? So, so many. Difficult question. But the first one that came to mind when you asked that question was London Calling by The Clash. So I think I'm going to have to go with it. That's a great song. Isn't it? Yeah. I think it references this like super important time in my life, right? Living in London for so long, really finding my identity there in my early 20s. But also like it's a call to action to participate in society. Yeah, that seems pretty appropriate for you. Flat or sparkling? Sparkling. What social justice cause is most meaningful to you at this moment? For me, it's LGBTQ plus issues. What's happening right now in society with the policing of bathrooms, with the anti-trans legislation is really, really making me nervous. I think it's a society where we're sliding backwards and we need to stop. So that's something that I really need to advocate for. Yep. And who is your least favorite Supreme Court justice? Can I have a tie? I don't know. It's so hard to choose just one. I mean, there's kind of a six-way tie, right? Yeah. I'm going to go with Clarence Thomas tied with Brett Kavanaugh. I really couldn't choose my least favorite. Yeah, I keep feeling like I need to go back. I think we're on episode 22 or something, and I, I really want to go back and start tallying. I should have been keeping a tally. I mean, I don't know what the prize would be, but, you know, but those two are definitely in the running, I think. I think so. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I'm really excited. We have a show up right now that's curated by Anu Mitra, who you've worked with, who has been a docent at the Cincinnati Art Museum. So she's got an online exhibit on South Asian art on our website. And so I really appreciate you speaking with us today. Absolutely. And everybody should check it out. Yeah. BaderandSimon.com. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to reach out and let us know your preference for flat or sparkling or anything else you'd like to share, you can find us on Instagram at Bader and Simon Gallery or online at BaderAndSimon.com where you will find information on current exhibitions and programming. Until next time, have a fabulously artistic day.